What is going on, everybody? We got Robert Sykes here, and I've got special guest Trent Holbert on the line today, and uh, we're going to dive into all different kinds of things. We're not going to hold back. We're going to talk about biohacking, growing beards, spiritualism, everything and anything. How you doing there, Trent? Hey, Robert. What's up, man? I'm good. I'm good. Um... So how's give the audience a little bit of introduction on you. We've talked before, but let them know who you are. Yeah, yeah, you've been on my podcast, and I appreciated that, and uh, just have loved getting to know you and what you're doing. But uh, so anyway, uh, Trent Halbert, Trent Halbert Fitness. I'm a holistic uh, educator, I coach uh, nutrition and biohacking and physical wellness, uh, spiritual wellness, and do a lot with ketosis, just because that's sort of my mojo. I've been doing that. Um, for a while and and uh so yeah and uh, living in Asheville North Carolina now I'm a pastor and minister and and so I coach a lot of spiritual training as well and kind of do it do it all <laughs> I like it I like it that, that's that's the main thing we'll talk about like whether you know the listeners religious or not I think they can relate on the simple fact that that you've taken your passion and you've created a lifestyle of it and you've kind of interwoven all facets of your life to be symbiotic in nature, which I think anybody can benefit from. Yeah, you know, because where I've, you know, I've, for a long time, for years, I worked in um, in ministry and kind of ignored the physical aspect of it, and that was a huge, huge, huge mistake uh, because I destroyed my body uh, because of stress and overwork and and anxiety and all that um, stuff. And then uh, when I went into the fitness industry and became educated and experienced and, and successful in that modality, I learned that, goodness, these things, they don't, they're not separated, like spiritual and physical, emotional, uh, it's all intertwined together. And if you ignore one, then it tends to hurt the other one. I absolutely agree. Was there kind of like an aha moment or, or had that epiphany come to be? Yeah, well, it wasn't necessarily aha, but um, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, because I, uh, you know, like a lot of people, I, I've got a work ethic. You, you and I grew up on a farm, and so you understand this. Uh, my motto was, "Don't worry about the mule, just load the cart." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just there's work to be done, and and I'm not going to stop until the work is done. But I didn't rest, I didn't recover, and I wasn't exercising. And I was, uh, at that time, I was overweight and just unhealthy. I wasn't eating good or anything. So I really wrecked my health, um, starting physically. I depleted my adrenal glands. They were shot, man. I couldn't, I couldn't really do anything with stress. I didn't know what was going on. I started having anxiety attacks, and that was embarrassing because I, I didn't even know what that was. I'd never had that before. And a lot of gut issues and just a lot of lower back pain and, kidney issues it was just one thing after the other and I, just, I that sent me into extreme exhaustion and de- and then depression like a really really dark season of depression and in timeline when, when was this uh that was going um i can re- actually remember it started june of 2011 now that's just when the first domino was tipped over it hit maximum in the winter of 2011 and then I finally was able to come out of it the process lasted about three or four months I came out of it in March April 2012 talk about talk about I mean how, how old were you at this point 
How old was I? Yeah. Um, let's see. I got to think how old I am now. <laughs> I was, you know, early 30s, 30, 31. 31. Like and, and talk talk about the depression, man. Like, I, I like I like hearing about people's darker times so that it amplifies <laughs> the lighter times, if that makes any sense. Yeah, hear about the dark side. Yeah. So... All right. So anyway, I, at this time, here I am. I'm I'm pa- pastoring a church that I actually had planted three years prior, and it's going great. It's going. It's it's growing. It's doing awesome. Um, th- you know, on the outside, things looked wonderful. That's that's an interesting thing about depression is that uh, when it's involved in a person's life, it oftentimes goes neglected because everything else around them may actually be going great. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, the depression inside of me was a c- conflict because of who I was. You know, I was supposed to be this guy who had all the seemingly uh, had all the answers. I was the counselor. I was the shepherd. I was the leader, and should have been the one with the most joy. And so I put on a face of joy that fake it until you make it, and that really only made things worse. And so, um, you know, just just really suppressing it. And uh, so it just sent me into this reeling, into this uh, identity crisis, thinking that uh, what I did is who I was, and that's not the case at all. And so my performance, you know, as it began to suffer, well, that really to me that meant that my identity was suffering. It meant that because if what I was doing sucked, then that meant that I sucked right. <laughs> as, a, as an individual. So it got very, very dark quickly, a lot of disparity. And, um, you know, I, and I'm, I freely admit this, Robert, and I think this is healthy for anybody listening that goes through depression because they think that they're diseased or they're um, alone in this. But here I was, a very successful, healthy guy in, in you know, most aspects of life. And I've got very dark um, thoughts, right, like self-harm. Like, mm-hmm. and, and that wasn't, and, you know, here's the thing about suicidal thoughts and tendencies is that a lot of people will see that as cowardice and and weak and all that, but really the majority of those cases that I found, and this was certainly the case in my life, was that it's not so that I can it's not so that I can escape the pain, but it's because you feel like that you have become such a pain to others. Yeah, that, I, I completely agree. I felt the same way. It's it's a weird phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like oh, I want to escape out of here, but it's that for the sake of the people that I love, I need to get rid of. I need to get rid of me. I need to. I need to subtract me from the equation so that they would have they would be better off. Which you know is obviously not the case. That's, that's such a, a dark you know lie that 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 we tend to believe in that situation. That's Absolutely. not true. Yeah. What, so it uh, was, yeah. So what what uh, what was next? Uh, so what was next was um, endurance, and you know because. I'm just not going to go that route. You know, I'm not going to continue down that road. And so thankfully with the upbringing that I had, with the truths that, uh, I, that have, has been an anchor to my life, um, you know, I held on, you know, and I, I believe that anybody that's out there, if you just hold on long enough, there's this, there's this thing that we don't talk about enough today and that's endurance, man. Just, just last, right. You know, we can talk about, we can talk about being clever. We can talk about being ingenious or whatever, but at the end of the day, it boils down to grit. Are you gritty enough to hold on mm-hmm. through the darkness? Because eventually there does come this moment. And for me, like 
there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations, and the, the, the title should clue you in, to lament, to cry. And it's an entire letter written by the prophet Jeremiah who is just destroyed, right? I mean, he is utterly, completely destroyed and in depression. Um, and he's crying out. And so here I am reading this, and it's like, this is me, man. This is actually, this is what I feel like. And um, and then he stops in in this moment. He stops in chapter three, and he says, "But but your mercies are new every morning." And he then starts to change his tone about um, holding out. Um, God is good to those who hold out. Joy comes, and all this. And so I began to uh, relate to that and just say, "It's not, you know this is this is horrible. This sucks, but it's not the end. And eventually, it's going to break." And that was exactly what happened. Um, it, it was like things just just started to put into place, you know, where I needed to be. Now, I don't want you to think that this is super supernatural. It was miraculous, no doubt. But I did my work, and and I reached out to people. You know, I reached out to mentors. I reached out to for help, and I reached out for education. And you know, started to learn the uh, the importance of physical fitness and proper nutrition and how that plays its role in connecting mind-body health, right? So, you know, increasing my psychology, my psychological health by by exercising and by eating right and by following uh, certain um, disciplines that uh, are going to help build the foundation there as well as, you know, really targeting my spiritual wellness too. So what, like... So you're, you're depressed. You're you're not seeing a light in the tunnel, and then you realize that you have to you know endure, and that this is not your life, but merely a moment in your life. What kind of, I mean, what led you to look towards you know health and nutrition and fitness? Like, was there a, a mentor that that triggered that, or was there something you read, or, or what made that your your pivotal moment? Yeah, well, there wasn't really a person that that came to me and said, "Hey, dude, you need to lose weight" or anything like that. Um, you know, I'm seeking out physicians. I'm going to my family physician. I'm going to an herbalist. I'm going to a chiropractor. You know, all all types of these physicians. And because my low back pain, man, I I was so stressed in internalizing that stress that I uh, took my spine and I twisted it and then I kinked it right, mm-hmm. like a twist and then a kink. And so I had scoliosis in my low back. And um, so I'm going to the chiropractor for physical therapy, and I'm going to these doctors, and and you know that just sort of became a duh moment. You know, here you are, you're 60 pounds overweight, you're not eating right, you have no energy, and you've got you're in pain. So you got to do something. And <laughs> if you want to know the honest truth, part of it was financial, uh, because I don't know if you've ever had to go to you know doctors over and over and over again, but that that adds up, right? Mm-hmm. And so I began to look at techniques for strengthening low back. And, you know, it was sort of this, well, obviously, common sense is going to tell you that uh, losing the excess weight is going to help. Um, so how do you lose that weight? How do you do that? And so I began to educate myself on, on fat loss, uh, but, uh, but also on, on strengthening. And so I actually uh, I stopped going to the chiropractor and started going to, uh, to the gym and uh, – doing squats and deadlifts. And so I tell people, it's funny, that I actually um, did more to help my back by doing deadlifts uh, than anything. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Like, 
like I said earlier, we grew up on a farm, and my whole family's got a bad lower back because we're always like picking up rocks and stuff like yeah. that, you know. And I tell you, man, the best thing that I did for me was was starting to do deadlifts. Like I don't have any of that kind of back pain anymore. And I think that's such an underrated, uh, you know, method to strengthen your back and prevent injury. Yeah, totally. I used to think that deadlifts caused uh, back injury, but uh, quickly found out that that's not the case. Now, I'll tell you what does is bad form on deadlifts. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> but if you have correct form, dude, you're just going to strengthen that stuff. And and so my spine just it straightened out. Everything, that whole posterior uh, chain just strengthened. Well, post both chains, anterior and posterior, and uh, gave me a great foundation there. And so I, then I began to start... Um, I tell you what I did as spring came on. I took a, a young man who was a he was a mem- member, a part of our church, and he was a college student. And he's one of these guys that looks like you, Robert, just ripped to shred. And you know, so I looked at him and I thought, well, surely he knows what he's doing. And so I went to him and I said, hey man, why don't you? Uh, would you like to coach me? I'll mentor you. He wanted to uh, he wanted to learn more about the Bible and our faith, and I wanted to learn more about fat loss. And and so we did a trade of services, so to speak. And he took me to the city park, and he had brought a piece of paper that he had written a, a HIT routine, high intense interval training routine, and it had three sets of uh, body weight. You know, we're, we're talking burpees, lunges, uh, push-ups, crunches. You know, just all in sync and in rhythm, really quick, high intense. And uh, so he took me out to do that, and I could only perform one set. That's how out of shape that I was, and I was embarrassed and I was ashamed. Um, but it was a moment of reality, like this is where you are. And, uh, you know, going back to that grit, you know, I'd already made the decision. It's do or die. And it was for me literally because I was on the brink, man. It was it was that close. And, and so I had to do, and I had to do whatever it took. And so I stayed in there and eventually was able to do the three sets that he had prescribed and continue on. And, and so I went from hit into weightlifting, um, doing uh, classic five for five sets, um, and just did that, uh, in addition to the hit, uh, then started into CrossFit and then became a runner and, and all of these things. So I, I guess I call myself a cross trainer because I, I do it all in that, you know, some, so I'm not, you know, I'm not just a runner and I, I get made fun of sometimes because I don't have a runner's body, you know, yeah. cause I'm building muscle all the time. And so, <laughs> No, I remember. I remember when I first stalked you on Instagram. I think when when we were first talking. I think Danny Vega introduced us, and uh, I, I was on your podcast. So I, I pulled up your Instagram to like, you know, figure out what what you were all about. And I'm like, man, who is this guy? He's got a he's got a runner. He runs. He lifts. He's got a you know three feet long beard. I, I can't put my finger on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Man, when you watch when you watch Lord of the Rings, you know you gotta run sometimes. You gotta you gotta fight sometimes. You gotta have that beard, so it all works together. That's right, man. That's right. So talk about your your nutrition. Like, what what was your nutrition like when you were sixty pounds overweight? Well, I mean, what were you eating on a day to day basis then? Anything I wanted. You know, I was a you know country boy, so everything's fried and breaded. Mm-hmm. And uh, that you know, I loved pizza, I loved fries. You know, anything. Just really, there was no limit to anything that I was going to eat. What was the your first, favorite food? Did you have a favorite? Pizza. Pizza. And it still is. Keto uh, pizza now though, right? But now it's keto pizza. Yep. <laughs> you put anchovies on your pizza? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, man. You're missing out. It's not a real pizza without anchovies. 
<laughs> we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so you're eating everything. You're 60 pounds overweight. You started training, started doing everything. And uh, what was the progression like there? Like how long did it take you to lose the weight? How did your, your nutrition change over that time? Did you did you just start with keto right off the bat or did you kind of like ease no, into I never, it? I had never heard of keto, right? Like, So the first thing that I did, and really I'm educating myself, so I am digging in, like figuring out what works, what doesn't work. Every day, every night, I'm inundating myself with articles, um, just anything that I could find. You know, I'm on bodybuilding.com, everything from bodybuilding.com to Pinterest. I mean, nothing was off limits. Let's just get information. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the first thing that I did was just begin to clean up the processed gunk, you know, just get all, get rid of the processed and stop drinking calories. And I think that I, I began to see fat just mobilize like quickly when I stopped drinking my calories. That was insane to me, like how quickly it began to happen. And so just drinking water and green tea and coffee. Um, or even, even you know, I'm not going to lie, man. I mean, I'll have uh, a Diet Pepsi. You know, I'll have a, something that still doesn't have calories. I'm not saying it's the healthiest, but, uh, you know, didn't have the calories and things began to move. So mm -hmm. I found the paleo diet. And um, I didn't go complete paleo, but I love paleo. Like, so I was just starting to eat um, just slower digesting carbs, higher saturated fats, um, and just a lot less processed meals. And so I lost, I lost my 60 pounds quickly, like really quick, just doing that with the exercise, you know, just cleaning up the, the diet. Uh, but my thing is, is that when I find something that works, I want to find the next better thing. And I just continue to evolve that way. And I think that's why my training has evolved in such a way as it has, opening new chapters. And so, uh, again, this is a time, this is a while back, and so I had not heard anything about keto. I'd never heard of keto. It wasn't on the radar. People weren't talking about it. Um, but I began to see articles on it, and I thought I would try it. And I, uh, so I did a couple of times. I went into ketosis um, about um, a month or six six weeks and then came out of it and, and really struggled. I'll be honest, uh, I struggled doing it because there just wasn't a lot written that I could find on it at that time. And uh, so... Uh, what year was this? Uh, that, let's see, that would have been 2012. Yeah, that would have been the same year, 2012. Okay, gotcha. Uh, late, probably going into winter. Um, and so going in and out of ketosis a couple of times, I did get lean. Like I've gotten to my leanest. Um, that would have been 2013, the summer of 2013. I was uh, about 8%. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so really, it felt great. Um, and then I met um, Jimmy Moore and uh, had somebody then that could really mentor and coach me into ketosis with the science and data and you know, just a little bit better. Right. And so I went into nutritional ketosis, um, uh, let's see, about two years ago and never looked back. What was like, a, like a lot of people are paleo now and they've kind of, you know, flirted the line between paleo and keto. What did you notice? Like what, what substantial change happened between paleo and keto that made you want to stick with keto indefinitely? 
Well, paleo I thought was really cool because it, it allowed me to uh, drop the weight, right? But the problem with that was is that still having those carbs, I'm still having to eat you know, often, several meals a day to keep my blood sugar regulated. And I'm having, um, I'm, I'm still crashing at two o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm still having those issues. And plus, I'm still having to work my tail off, really, like doing a lot of hit. Like I moved into Tabata. Have you ever done Tabata? Yeah, I played around with it some. I like, I like Tabata. Yeah. Um, that's the first time that I ever dry heaved. Yeah. <laughs> it brought me to the point that I just about puked. Um, so on paleo, I still had to work out with, with that type of intensity to stay lean, you know, because I still had to get through the, the glucose in order to tap into the body fat. Um, and so when I went keto, I found out that I didn't have to work out nearly as much to maintain the same amount of fitness and the same amount of, of, uh, body fat, right? So I'm eating a lot a lot less often, um, you know, instead of eating uh, five times a day, I'm eating two times a day. Right. And eating less, um, uh, you know, I just don't have the bulk, right? Because on paleo, I was eating so many vegetables. And uh, I still eat vegetables, but I didn't, I'm not filling up my gut tank full of vegetables and feeling uh, that, that um, and I'll be honest, uh, I could never do a plant-based diet. And it's not because I disagree with it. I, my body just doesn't, it rejects it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do well on plant-based. And so I feel like I'm in a third trimester of, of pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. <laughs> so so when I went keto, um, I, I've sustained energy and I'm not crashing. I'm not having to eat as much or as often. And I'm able to stay leaner a whole lot easier. So I'm working out less and getting as much gain. Yeah, I, I noticed the same thing. Like, I don't have to do, you know, near as much cardio. I still like training hard, but I mean, I don't have to. I'm not forced to do a lot of cardio to maintain the same body fat. I could pretty much do no cardio and maintain a body fat fairly easy. Yeah. What yeah, like the, I, moved, I moved down here. You know, we we made the move from Kentucky to uh, to North Carolina and. Dude, you know, when you go through a move, anybody that's ever gone through a move knows that it's horrible. I finished up my last um, half, I'm a trail runner, so I finished up my last half marathon, my trail race um, back in August, and we transitioned into having to move and go through all of this, and uh, it's it's taken a toll on my on my being able to work out and, and my run, anything. Like, I don't belong to a gym yet, you know, I've got my kettlebells and dumbbells that I take along with me. And, um, you know, things like that. But uh, so it's sort of hard to get in my workouts the way that I want to. But I maintain like there's no like I track my weight. I track everything. And, and there's really no up or down right now. I'm at perfect maintenance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. What, what is your uh, what's a typical day of eating look like for you now? Uh, well, it's funny because here the last couple of weeks I've been doing a 23 and one uh, intermittent fast. Mm hmm. And uh, I usually do a uh, an eighteen hour fast, um, typically. But uh, so I don't eat breakfast, or I, I guess I should say my breakfast doesn't start until noon, and then uh, try to cut it off between five and eight. But right now, like I said, I've been here lately. I've been doing a twenty three and one, 
And that's really been cool, you know, because um, eating at five o'clock, uh, I, I was eating at five o'clock. And then I found out that it's probably better for me to eat earlier in the day and not as close to, uh, to the evening. Um, so, so then 12 or one o'clock has been my, um, my eating window. And what, uh, like, are you drinking like a keto coffee before then, or is all of your macros in that, that small window? Um, it's funny. I was doing a keto coffee every morning. Um, and I just, uh, I just, I just did a review. It's funny. I just did a review on um, Maria and Craig Emmerich's book, Keto. They sent that uh, to me a few weeks ago. It hasn't come out yet. Um, it's getting ready to launch. They sent it to me, and then we did a podcast together, but it's a really cool book. Uh, it should Honestly, it should be a textbook in schools on nutrition and ketosis, and that's somebody you definitely need to get on your show, by the way. Maria? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Maria or Craig or both of them. Uh, they're both awesome. And uh, so anyway, she talks about how the exogenous ketones, if you're at a certain body fat percentage and you want to really tap into more fat stores, that it's probably better to pull those back. Um, and so I've been trying to do that a little bit, like not having ex- exogenous ketones and seeing what, you know, what happens in that. And so, you know, some days I do and some days I don't. It just depends on how I feel um, as, a, as a keto coffee. Like I'll put the ketones in my coffee. What ketones were you using? Uh, perfect keto ketones. Yeah, yeah, like they're um, like they're chocolate one or something. Just putting that in your coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, my favorite is the vanilla. Uh, as far as in the coffee mixture, gotcha. uh, and I have the chocolate sea salt, and that's really good. I haven't tried it in my coffee. I know exogenous ketones are super hot right now. Like you've got several different companies coming out with products, um, and a lot of people are using them. But so their their take on it was if you wanted to tap into greater stored body fat. Uh, you know, to lose that, it was to pull back on the exogenous ketones? Uh, yeah, it was actually to pull those back. Um, uh, apparently, you know, when, you're, when you have a lot of uh, floating beta-hydroxybutyrate in your blood, that uh, uh, your body will tap into that for energy before it will tap into your uh, body fat source. And so, um, you know, of course, if you are, if you have a lot of insulin resistance, if you're overweight, maybe it's something that uh, – what you and I would call priming the pump, right? You go ahead and get started with a lot of fat and uh, taking in some exogenous ketones to get the body revved up and, and used to utilizing that stuff. Uh, but when you're fat adapted like you and I, it's probably a lot better to go ahead and pull those back and just uh, you know just tap into your body fat and run your uh, ketones up that way through li- you know liver production. Yeah, that makes sense. I've heard, I don't know, I mean there's still so much science coming out on those, but that 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 argument totally makes sense uh, in my mind. Um, I've heard you know argue the other way that if you have more exogenous ketones, you're going to be um, you'll have more energy and therefore be able to train harder and burn more body fat. So I mean, I guess it goes both ways, but I definitely see the validity in what you know they're saying for sure. And I use them that way. You know, if I'm feeling lethargic, if I don't have the energy, I'll I'll drink a cup of ketones, and I won't feel bad about it at all because, like you said, if I've got the energy, then I've got the energy to go out and and do some work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what about uh, so like in your in your one hour window of eating, what what kind of foods are you consuming then? Usually, I'll eat something like salmon, um, a big a big plank of uh, wild caught sockeye salmon uh, with some some sort of fatty vegetable. Uh, like uh, I'll do like a um, skillet of uh, purple. Um, not cauliflower, well, cabbage, purple cabbage, 
um, or broccoli, you know, something like that. Um, you know, still keeping it pretty strict keto. keto. Um, are you so tracking your macros now? Or are you pretty much just eating instinctively? Well, I'm not because of this 23 and one. Um, you know, I've only got one hour to eat, and I'm pretty much just filling the tank in that hour. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What uh, have you noticed? Like any substantial change uh, moving from the 18 hour to the 23 hour? Yeah, you know, the biggest change that I've found is weird. Um, I'm less hungry. Huh, interesting. Yeah, it's weird. Like, um, when I, the, it, it seems like the more that I eat, the more that I want to eat. Yeah, exactly. And you and I talked a little bit about a while back, um, off air, just in the evenings, man, when, when, when this past summer I was really struggling because I just wanted to eat it night and gorge right just gorge and you know i was out on the farm working all day and and using up a lot of energy and not eating and then it just seemed like it uh, at night all i wanted to do was was eat um and so now i found of course i'm not as active right so i don't need to eat as much and uh, so uh, shrinking that window i don't know it shut off the hunger signals and i'm just throughout the day i'm fine um, so, as a matter of fact, you know, my trail running has has uh, evolved because in Kentucky, where we have foothills, where I was running, I thought I was fit, right? And then I come to uh, the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains, of North Carolina, and I began to trail run with these guys, and I found out how unfit I am. <laughs> yeah. So I'm already in elevation, and uh, but I did a six mile trail run the other day with a buddy, and that was up the mountain and around the mountain and back down the mountain. And uh, it was pretty awesome. And when we got down, um, we were talking about our diet. And, uh, and I, I told him that I had not had anything to eat that day. I was totally fasted. And it blew him away that I could do that. Um, but I performed better fasted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've actually been pulling my, my first meal back to after I trained. And that's made you know, a pretty noticeable difference. Like I feel much more energetic while training. Now, are you doing a higher protein now or higher fat? Or no, I, yeah, we Danny and I did that three month experiment, and uh, the last month was like a mix between the higher protein and higher fat. And now I'm kind of training. I'm actually not even counting right now. I'll start counting again at the at the new year. But uh, I'm I'm probably at a much higher fat ratio now. I, I tend to gravitate towards a higher fat ratio. What okay. About, what about you? Do you notice yourself performing better with higher protein or higher fat? Um, man, I don't know. Really, it's hard to tell. Um, because like like I said earlier, like you, I'm not even tracking right now uh, where I'm at, and I wouldn't say that I'm really I'm not exhausting my protein. I'm not too high protein. Uh, probably right where I ought to be. Just kind of thinking, you know, what I'm used to doing. Um, but I think that if I put the fat to it, I, I feel better. Yeah. Lately, I've been trying to pull the fat back a little bit because, like I said, um, off air, I'm getting ready to start. I want to start cutting, and and I'm like, you know, I'm, sometimes I convince myself to pull the fat back and burn fat, but then sometimes I convince myself to give myself more fat. Um, <laughs> what's your take on that? Man, it's interesting you ask that because I tell you, I've personally for myself, I've always gravitated towards manipulating protein rather than fat. Um, and so I'll whittle that down and then most of my clients experience the same thing like I'll have some that perform better with a higher 
uh, slightly higher protein ratio, not higher than fat, but higher than I like to keep it. Um, and if they perform well with that, you know, by all means, I'll, I'll keep keep that going. But the the vast majority of my clients and myself all perform better with a higher fat ratio. When Danny and I did this experiment, he and I both had better metrics uh, with the higher fat ratio month. Um, I think he's actually about to do a three or not a three month experiment, but a cutting experiment as well, in which he's going to keep uh, protein constant and decrease fat. But I found that you know, like when you're cutting. And this was the kind of the strategy that I used when I did my competition prep this past year. When you're cutting, you you basically shift to burning as much fat as possible and maintaining as much muscle as possible. Like when you're in a cut, the, the primary goal is not to build muscle. So ketones are incredibly muscle sparing. You're going to benefit more by decreasing your protein, keeping your fat ratio higher, which is going to result in you know higher ketone levels, more muscle sparing. And you don't need that huge surplus of protein anyways. So I make that my manipulated variable. And that's always worked well for me. So do you have a rule of thumb on like how many grams of protein that a person should have um, to do whatever, you know, to maintain or to lose? It, it's different for everybody. I try and keep it between, you know, 0.8 and 1.2, you know, when I'm when I'm building. I mean, I think... Towards the end of my prep, I was down to 1,650 calories and only 65 grams of protein. So I don't know what that equated to. I was about 155, 156 pounds. So I think it was around like 0.5 pounds uh, or 0.5 grams per uh, pound of lean mass, I believe is what it equated to then, roughly. Yeah, okay. So how many calories are you taking in? You said 16, 16 something? That's that's when I was prepping, uh, that last little bit of the prep. Right now, I'm probably around, I'm between 2,500 and 3,000 currently. Okay. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Because a lot of people were asking me how to, how I stayed in the body composition that I was, and I would guarantee you I was eating every bit of 3,000 calories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, and like, we, we actually want to talk about this too. This is interesting. What is your take on... Uh, you know, calories in, calories out versus like, um, you know, some people I think there's a lot of there's a lot of misleading information out there currently. It's a really hot topic right now, but people on keto are assuming that they can just eat endless amounts of calories with no negative repercussion. What's your what's your take on that? Yeah, well, I think that's a huge um, mistake. Um, you know, you can get fat eating keto. Yeah, yeah, I, that's. <laughs> I'm in a complete agreement there. I think um, I think there's a lag period. So, for instance, when I did my 4,000 calorie challenge for you know two months, I gained a little bit of weight, but that was coming you know immediately after a competition. So I anticipated that. But I think there's a lag period with keto. Like, if you were to take a, a subject, have them eating you know 4,000 calories of ketogenic meals versus 4,000 calories of carbohydrate-based meals, you know they're going to gain fat more quickly with the carbohydrate-based meals, but they'll still gain fat with the ketogenic-based meals. It might just take a little bit longer for that lag period to catch up with them. Yeah. I actually read a study on that where they took a group and did a did a, uh, a study where they, they were had the exact same amount of calories, but one group was carb, one was keto, and, and they proved out exactly what you just said, that the carb group uh, gained where the keto group didn't. Um, but here's my take is that, uh, I don't count calories, but that doesn't mean that calories don't count. Yeah. And so I think there's a, I think there's a small window that we need to look at for, for calories because, you know, when you're eating, I don't, it really doesn't, whether you're eating carbs, 
paleo, keto, whatever, um, if you drop your calories too low, then your body's going to go into starvation mode and slow your metabolism. Uh, and, and we're talking, at the end of the day, we're really just talking about hormones and what affects our hormones. And the types of food affects our hormones, but the amount of food affects our hormones as well, or the uh, calories. And, uh, and so you can eat um, a quote-unquote healthy diet with too many calories and and still you're triggering a hormone effect that's going to retain body fat um, storing storing that energy and so you know of course you you know the the numbers um, very well and probably better better than I do but you know when you look at a say 500 um, calorie deficit versus a 500 calorie surplus um, that that has an effect on the body absolutely, uh, absolutely. but if you that to a thousand calorie deficit, then you see it go, going from an advantage to a disadvantage on the body. Yeah, and that's why everything has to be done very gradually. Like I, I get, it's frustrating when I see you know certain coaches you know drop their their clients' macros by you know five hundred calories overnight or you know even more. It's just like there's there's no way to see. Everything that every change that you make needs to be a fairly gradual change, so you can see and kind of be ahead of the curve with how your body's going to respond to it, uh, for better and for worse. But, but yeah, I completely agree. The hormones play a huge role, um, and hormones, you know, obviously are affected by the, like you said, the type of foods you're eating, but also definitely with the amounts of foods you're eating. That's why when you're, you know, prepping for a competition or, or going into like an extreme composition change to lose weight. You have to be really careful when you get down there below a certain degree of calories. You know that's when I'll start introducing like the ketogenic refeeds and stuff like that, just to kind of give your hormones a boost. You know. Yeah, yeah. I call it. You know, I I tell my clients that the uh, human body has this innate intelligence that uh, we were just created with. I mean, biologically, um, like our bodies have our body's physio- physiology is smarter than our psychology right so like it's going to do what it needs to do it's going to uh, it's going to it's a system that's going to work um based on what we do with it it's really smart you know it's a it's a machine that is extremely intelligent um because like right now you don't have to think about your heart beating it's just beating it's doing its job it's doing what it's supposed to do and uh, so I think that if we give our bodies what it's supposed to have, if we treat it, if we treat it right, it's going to give back. It's going to take the intelligence that it has, the information and its genetic coding that it has, and the hormone profile that it has, and the circadian rhythm uh, that it has. All those things your body was given when it was created. Like you didn't, you didn't decide your circadian rhythm. You didn't decide your hormone profile. You didn't decide your genetics. Um, and you can only manipulate those, but you can't change those. Yeah. And so, um, be be careful uh, how you manipulate because you can damage very quickly. And so, I see a lot of people who go on these crash diets, right? They'll, like you said, they'll dump a load of calories, or they'll 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 dump some huge portion of their macro um, too quickly, and they cause a lot of metabolic damage to their body. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know. It's interesting, like you're able to really become in tune with your body and I think the, your ability to do that is amplified the leaner you get because your body responds much more noticeably to any change you subject it to when you're you know sub 
you know, 5% body fat. Like, it gets weird. When you get below 5% body fat, man, like, most people don't experience it, but it is, it's a strange phenomenon. You could, you could literally, you know, eat half an avocado and know exactly when and how your body's going to respond down to the minute. Like, it's, it's freaky. Um, but, like I said, most people don't get to that, so they just kind of do things on a whim without thinking of, you know, the consequences, and it, it usually comes back to bite them in the end. I'm going to trust you on that. I've never been to 5% body fat. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's strange, man. It's definitely not natural. Uh, it's not like what your optimal body fat is. Um, it's what, not, would you consider, what would you consider optimal body fat for, for a man or a woman? I don't know, man. Like for, for the off season, like if I'm trying to build muscle, I'm kind of leaning towards, you know, 8% on the low end and like 12% on the high end. I think that's kind of like the optimal window for a male you know you see some bodybuilders especially they just blow up big time in the off season and and they you know justify that as you need to be that much heavier to be able to put on muscle but you're so out of tune with your body at that point like i think between eight and twelve uh you know day to day walking around is good for a man for a female mm, i don't know i mean probably between the, the window's probably a little bit larger probably between like you know 15 and 22 i think would be reasonable yeah 15 on the low end for that for sure but uh yeah i think that's reasonable yeah yeah i feel actually i feel best between 8 and 10 yeah i mean that at that point you're not so lean that it becomes hard to sustain but you're not so heavy that you're not as in tune with your body and you're still able to you know function at a higher level um both mentally and physically and I don't know. That, that's why I'm gonna dial it in too. Like you and I were saying off air, you know, you know, we're both probably at around fourteen percent now. We kind of want to dial it back to like ten percent. Yeah. Do you know how you're gonna do that? Yeah, I'm going to increase uh, my cardio a little bit. I'm going to increase the intensity uh, of my training because I, I want. I've been kind of playing around with this powerlifting style protocol for my primary compound movements, uh, which I like, but at the same time, it's not. It doesn't allow me to just kind of train more instinctively. And like if I go into the gym following a powerlifting program, you know, I hit my reps and I'm supposed to call it good at that point. But me, like there's days where I just want to go in there and be an animal and do those numbers plus, you know, five more sets of those numbers plus a drop set and then a superset, you know. So I want to kind of go back to that uh, innate, you know, animalistic approach. Um, and then I also want to increase my cardio and, and kind of do more, you know, functional style uh you know, I, I'd like to get into trail running, honestly. Like, I, I see you, you know, doing that a lot, and I would love to get into kind of trail running. I've loved it because, you know, I, I've, I've retired from pavement. Um, I didn't like the feeling on my joints, but at the same time, it just doesn't, it, it didn't create what I wanted, the body, the body figure that I wanted. If you look at a long-distance pavement runner, you see a lot of emaciated uh, physiques, you know, kind of gaunt and skinny, and and that's because the requirements that it takes, you know, that low level cardio is just all the time burning fat. Trail running for me has become optimal because it's really a hit workout, right? So you're running, it's full body, you know, the the the, and I think guys like us would, I love it because I feel like a kid again, like I just mm -hmm. run in the woods, man. I'm jumping over rocks, over logs, running around, you know, through creeks and everything, and and it's a total body workout, man. It's awesome. But here's what I'm doing, and tell me what you think about this because you're you're adapting more cardio, and I've already got the cardio, um, and so I'm going to work in um, a lot more body weight and lower 
weight, like using the dumbbells, lower lower weighted but higher reps uh, workout um, to try to cut a little bit that way. Do you think that's a good idea? I've a lot of people like when they're, they're trying to cut down, they'll they'll opt for lower weight and higher reps, um, and and that's effective, but it's not optimal in my opinion because your body, like like you were saying, your body's smart. So like if you um, Let's just use like like squats for instance. Let's say in the off season you're squatting 225 for reps, okay? If you decide that you want to cut down and you say, okay, I'm going to drop that to 135, but I'm going to do it for more reps, you're sending a signal to your body and your brain that, okay, the body no longer needs to push that 225. So we're going to catabolize some of that muscle to bridge the gap between this uh, you know calorie deficit that we're in and the fact that we don't need to push that weight anymore however if you try and maintain that strength and continue to push that 225 throughout the duration of your prep or your cut you're going to you know keep that that body's need to maintain that muscle and you're going to be able to retain uh, more muscle density and strength throughout Um, so like whenever i'm doing a prep i try and you know be conscious of what my heaviest lift is in the off season and then maintain that throughout the entire duration of the prep. It becomes harder, obviously, with a calorie deficit, but it's going to be a it's going to be the way to go to keep as much muscle as possible. Yeah. So there's definitely. Um, so what I'm hearing is the load on the body sends the signals, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're if you're doing you know a really heavy weight, you're, you're activating those deep muscle tissue fibers, and your body recognizes that. And it's going to realize. I mean, muscle growth is your body's response to to stress basically so if you maintain that stress you're going to maintain that growth or at least you know keep it uh you might not grow more at a calorie deficit um, or not much more but you'll hopefully maintain as much muscle as possible by maintaining that stress right yeah yeah you know and i tell my clients too and i know it's semantics but i want them to understand that uh, uh, muscle doesn't grow in the gym Mm -hmm. and they'll look at me really weird, and uh, and I'll tell them, you know, well, muscle actually grows about 3 a.m. <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. And, and so there's a question, what do you mean, you know, but when we go to the gym, like you said, we're sending signals. The gym is the place to send us the, the body signals through um, tearing down or breaking down or, or sending the cascading effect of hormones, um, sending those signals. And then, you know, that's why I really, really, really preach hard on rest and recovery restorative rest you know getting into a good deep sleep a delta brainwave sleep you know really deep so that your body will elicit that um, human growth hormone and testosterone and and go to work you know repairing uh, all that was done 12 hours earlier in the gym i agree i agree um i always like to kind of use a quote from dorian yates you know six-time mr olympia he compares um you know building muscle and recovery time to like, like he, he used an example, he, he talks about this in his seminars too, but he'll get like a piece of sandpaper and rub it across his hand. Uh, and he's like, you know, if you do this, this simulates training and then you're going to build up calluses, i.e., you know, muscle growth. However, if you were to take that sandpaper and rub it in the same spot every single day, you're basically not going to let your body build up those calluses and you're just going to, you know, bleed and uh, keep wearing it down and down and down so that's kind of like equating to giving the body you know the recovery time it needs to actually grow yeah absolutely i th- you know i tell people you know you've heard this said you can't outwork a bad diet right mm-hmm. um, but also i'll go a step further and say you can't out eat bad hormones yeah and so if you're not resting if you're not 
really, if you're not allowing your body to recover, but basically what you're doing is preventing your hormones uh, from doing their job. I agree. I agree. And a lot of people, they take it too far. I mean, it's it's much harder to overtrain than I think people. Some people think. Um, you know, there's there's a fine line there, and it's different for everybody. I mean, you just have to listen to your body and become more in tune with that. You know, the more training and you know recovery time that you, you do. But uh, yeah, recovery recovery is key, and and eating correctly is key, and sleeping enough and adequately is key. Yeah, yeah. So what? Uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you're all about the biohacking. What what kind of stuff do you have uh, on the forefront of your mind now? What what's captured your interest? Uh, right now, I'm working with frequency therapy, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at the science uh, of using different sound frequency for different healing modalities. And so, whether it's sleep, or concentration, or even physical healing, um, and just looking at how to use uh, sound waves and frequencies. And so. Uh, learning a lot about um, chaotic frequencies. Uh, there's certain frequencies that you can use that will disrupt um, your circadian rhythm. And uh, you know, when you disrupt your circadian rhythm and, and you're not sleeping well, then everything is shot. And uh, so right now I'm using a lot of that. I'm getting ready to interview a man named Michael Tyrell on my show uh, who wrote a book called Whole Tones. And, and he and I have been doing a lot of conversations about this science and it's really really cool stuff and so actually this Saturday I'm going to go to a sound therapy session uh, in uh, in downtown Asheville where you lie on a mat and kind of get into your uh, sweet spot I guess mentally get into your happy place and then with the use of crystals um, singing singing crystals and Tibetan sound bowls and uh, didgeridoo juice how do you say that didgeridoo yeah, yeah. didgeridoo uh, yeah, you spend 40 minutes just absorbing uh, certain frequencies into your body and just uh, to help with stress, oxidative stress, um, you know, just all sorts of things like that. So it's really, really cool. <laughs> that, that is very fascinating. So do you, is it like an optimal, you know, sound or frequency to have like playing, you know, in the background, like as you sleep or something to increase sleep quality? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I used to use binaural beats um, to do that, and I still do. I'll put my earbuds in, and I'll put it into the delta brain frequency and get my brain just sort of resonating with that frequency, and it'll put me into a very, very deep sleep. I uh, have to be careful with that because I don't want to wake up the next morning. Like, I'm that deep sleep. <laughs> really? So is it uh, you just leave the earbuds in all night long as you sleep? No, no. I'll just put them in for 30 to 40 minutes. And uh, as I start to feel myself going out, I just take them out and set them down and turn over and go to sleep. My brain is is just it's it's in that frequency. Um, it's maintaining that frequency, and so I get very very deep sleep. Is that like an app or, or how? Could, like if somebody wanted to mimic that, what would they do? So you can go to uh, yeah, you can get a free app called Brainwaves. That's the one that I use, and uh, there's different uh, frequencies. So, for instance, if you want to, uh, or if I go out on a jog and I want to elicit some creativity or some deep meditative thought, I'll get into an alpha brainwave. Uh, but if I want to get into a deep or relaxing state, I'll get into a delta or a theta, something like that. And it has a really cool effect. Interesting. I'm, I'm going to download this app as soon as we got the phone. So basically, it's Brainwave is, is the app name, right? Uh-huh. And then you can just pick which type of frequency based off of what, yeah, what you know, I, it'll tell you. Um, it'll it'll have the name delta, theta, gamma, 
um, et cetera, but then it'll tell you what it's best used for. And uh, so put that in your ears for a little while. It's just a hum. Um, and basically what it is, it's uh, it's two frequencies, one into left ear, one into right ear, but they're, they're less than 200 frequencies from one another. And so what happens is the pineal gland in the center of your brain, um, as these frequencies cross it, it creates an imaginative frequency. And that's the binaural frequency. Um, it's really, really cool. <laughs> Man, this is blowing my mind right now. I've heard of this in the very abstract, but I've never really dug into it. So I'm definitely going to uh, experiment with this because this is, I can see this being hugely advantageous to me. Yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting and, and science back. So when you really start to dig into it, you know, it's it's not woo woo. It sounds woo woo. I, I admit it sounds kind of crazy, but you know, everything has resonance. Everything has frequency, uh, whether you hear it or not. Everything has vibration, and and those vibrations have effects on everything else. So what? Uh, so you use this when you're about thirty four minutes before you go to sleep. When when is the other most used time? Um, so I will, uh, right now I'll go for a walk and I'll take, um, it's these, uh, well, actually, as a matter of fact, sometimes I'll even pull up a YouTube, um, video that has binaural beats or I'm not, I'm sorry, just whole tone frequencies. And so I will change the frequency to like a, uh, 432, uh, Hertz, mm-hmm. uh, and it's set to music and, uh, you can actually, the beats, the beats is what is the medicine and the music is the sugar that helps the medicine go down. That's sort of the way that I've heard that put. Yeah. Um, and so you, so this is set to music, but it's 432 and it's just a calming, peaceful, uh, healing frequency. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be experimenting with that because that is something that could just be kind of in the background, uh, you know, helping, um, subconsciously more than anything. Yeah. Absolutely. If I go on a run, I can still listen to my music, uh, but have the binaural beat in the background, and you know, it just it just changes the way that I feel. Huh. That's awesome. Yeah, that, I could see that being good. I'm about to go on a long drive on New Year's for a wedding, so I'm gonna have that going, and just I'll put it on like the creativity section and come back with all these world changing ideas. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Any other uh, biohacking things that you've been digging into lately? Um, yeah, actually, when I mentioned the pineal gland, I've been I've been working at um, decalcifying my my pineal gland and activating it, just so that uh, because that's such a really cool gland in the brain. They call it the third eye, or if you look at a lot of um, uh, Indian or Chinese Vedic uh, types of of medicines, the pineal gland is really responsible for your spiritual well being, your spiritual awareness. And, um, the, uh, you know, just kind of opening that up, uh, to be more aware of what's around me, um, you know, it's something that's new to me. And so I'm, I'm careful with, uh, don't want to unlock the wrong door, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but, uh, the pineal gland is a really interesting, uh, component of the, of the brain that I don't think that we've tapped into very well. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of playing around with that and looking at that a little bit. Any any tips and tricks as to how to optimize that? 
Well, kind of going back to uh, the frequencies, there are certain frequencies that will help unlock the pineal gland and decalcify it, but uh, taking fluoride out of your diet, fluoride has a tendency of calcifying that gland, and uh, and so, you know, cleaning up that a little bit, uh, drinking alkali water, um, or, you know, defluoride water, things like that. Um, there is There are some meditative practices, there are some ways that you can even massage the... Uh, the center of your forehead, um, which would be on the same plane as the pineal gland, that just sort of helps to um, open it up a little bit. Huh, interesting. A lot of weird stuff, man. <laughs> hey, it, it, it is, but I mean, it does sound frou-frou and everything, but like, I don't know, some of the people that, that have reached a whole other dimension of like, I don't know, just in tune with their body, they are optimizing this the same way, so well, uh, respect you know, for them. That uh, I want to be in tune with my body, and I want to help others to be in tune with theirs. And so uh, it was really interesting. I, I, uh, I've been practicing and working and trying to um, uh, be aware of energy. Mm-hmm. And this is going to sound even more woo-woo, but uh, the aura, right? The way that uh, we carry ener- energy around our body. And so I always thought that this was taboo, and it was really woo-woo, but I got, actually uh, saw my first aura two days ago. How so? <laughs> so, so uh, uh, this is going to sound really weird, but uh, holding your hand up uh, with a, a white background, and then staring in between, for instance, the uh, the index and the middle finger, staring right in between your fingers, and letting your eyes relax, but just continue to stare to the point that you actually began to see the energy around uh, around your hand. It's really cool. I'm, I'm trying right now. I'm going cross-eyed as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> no, this is cool, though, man. Like, I think, um, I don't know, like, there's so much to be learned out there. There's so many different people that master different, different aspects of health, uh, you know, from a nutritional perspective, from a psychological perspective. Um, I don't know, I'm just open-minded to everything because there's so much to be learned. I think there's so much that we haven't tapped into that we're just unaware of. You know, you know, when I was talking about the frequency, we know that uh, humans, we can only hear a limited amount of frequency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, dogs can hear a frequency that we can't. Like if you've ever used a dog whistle. Yeah. You know, they can pick up on that frequency that we don't, we don't hear. And... Um, you know, so you have to beg the question, well, what are what else is happening around us that we are unaware of that our senses aren't picking up on? Yeah, it's uh, very almost scary what you don't know. It's it exactly. It's scary what you don't know. It's scary what others have claimed that they do know. You know, I think it's I think it's a dangerous it can be dangerous or it can be beneficial. And that's why I try to be very careful with it. You know, biohacking in a physiological or chemical, biological situation you know is a lot easier uh, when you start to biohack in the uh, in the spiritual realm that's something that I think you need to be very very careful with I know a lot of people will microdose with you know psilocybin or LSD and things like that now you know I tend to stay away from that type of thing because <laughs> I want to open my mind to um, realities and truth um, I want to be very careful of giving up the control of my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting though. Like you look at, um, I don't know, I've always been against drugs. Like I was just raised that way. I've never done any drugs. Like I, 
I've never done anything. I mean, I lived in Washington where weed was legal and I've never smoked. Uh, but you look at, like, I, 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 look, I read biographies and stuff of some of the greatest minds of all time. And one common factor that many of them had was they would, you know, microdose with, you know, the, the mushrooms or, or, you know, other natural-based, uh, you know, psychological things to, you know, enter into a new realm of thinking, so to speak. And that's when they would have their highest moments of creativity. Yeah. Oh, there, and there's no doubt. You know, studies have shown that uh, the capabilities that it has on the mind to uh, to do things like that. And I use I use medicinal mushrooms to get pretty close. Now, not not psilocybin mushroom, but I use things like chaga and lion's mane and reishi uh, to help benefit cognitive uh, enhancement. But uh, or even I'll take uh, right now. You know, I, I take modafinil uh, to give me the limitless effect. You know, for concentration and, and cog- cognitive function. Uh, but I'm not there yet to uh, to go into a trip. <laughs> yeah, what, what, it's funny though. Like, what, uh, where, why does the li- the line become drawn between, you know, lion's mane or, or chaga and and psilocybin? And what what's, what's what makes one different than the other? You know, I think for me it's the control factor. Yeah. Um, you know, so when I'm when I'm taking lion's mane, I still have control, but I've optimized. And I think that's the sense. I think that's actually the sense that people are always trying to reach. Uh, they want to optimize under their own control, which that is the essence of biohacking. Um, biohacking is taking control of your own, uh, your own body, your own physiological um, functions. Uh, but then there comes the, you know, when you tap into um, maybe psilocybin or maybe LSD or or some other psychoactive, um, you know, chemical, you're you're giving up the control, and you don't know what. You know, like when you unplug, you don't know how it's going to plug back when you come yeah. back on that trip. And 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 yeah, I mean, there's you, there's evidence that shows that the replugging together of the uh, of those neuroconnectors provides optimal range. You know, optimal changes. There's also evidence though that we have people that uh, screwed their wiring up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Forever. You know, there's, there's something. We need to get Joe Rogan on here. He could probably talk in detail about all these. <laughs> if we'd have a lot of fun, I'm sure. He talks about one called uh, DMT. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Uh, D, um, I think it's DMT. Yes. I'm trying to think of the long word, D, and I have a hard time saying it. Dipped it uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> it's like the, the spirit drug or so. It's like, I think it's yeah. it's from... I don't even know what it's derived from, a cactus or something, I want to say. Yeah, I'm not even sure. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure, man. People right now, it's the hip thing, man. Go go out and trip on ayahuasca, do a you know ayahuasca cleanse, get a shaman to watch over you. And, dude, that can be terrifying, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I look, I mean, before, before fitness, uh, Native American history was one of my, my first passions. And I would read... All about like the the rainforest shamans and kind of like the medicinal plants and stuff they used, um, and you know like you know Native Americans often use like peyote and stuff like that, uh, but that DMT is kind of like the the big boy player of all the the natural drugs. And I've listened to Joe Rogan talk about it a little bit, and it's apparently you know the trip is no longer than you know 15 minutes tops or something like that, but it, it's uh, supposed to be you know out of this world. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll have to take somebody's word for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy because, like, I've never done any of this stuff. You've never done any of this stuff. But it, it definitely uh, – it's interesting because 
I don't know, you, you just hear about people that, that do it and it's used advantageously, but then you don't, you hear about the other ones that the exact opposite occurs and screws them up. So I always I think err on the side of caution. Educated. Yeah, I think the education is key. You mentioned the Native Americans. They knew what they were doing, right? I mean, yeah. obviously they knew what they were doing. And um, their kinikinik that they would smoke uh, to have a little bit of uh, this or that in it, they understood the the uh, the, uh, the chemistry, I guess, so to speak. Um, you know, I'm reading a book right now called The Alchemy of Herbs. And it's very interesting that um, we've, we've lost connection with herbal medicinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they're taken in different ways. They can be eaten. They can be derived into a, you know, a tincture or an oil or smoked. Uh, there's lots of different ways to get the uh, benefits from from herbs. And the, the American Native Indians, they they understood a great deal of that, as well as, you know, when you think about the uh, the Indians of Asia and Chinese herbalism and and uh, man, they they understood. They went. In, they had a lot of crazy things that um, that we sort of take as woo woo, but Dude, that's been around for thousands of years, and <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you look at like the rainforest, uh, you know, Indians like they they were. I mean, this is all they had to you know cure cure disease, prevent uh, you know illness and whatnot. And I mean, that was all effective long before the advent of hospitalization and and any of the uh, pharmaceuticals. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. That's right. And so we know that there's it's evidence based. It works. It could be science based if we would do the clinical trials. I'm sure, but there's there's really no money in herbs until you can, you know, pull out the uh, active ingredients and put it into a pharmaceutical grade pill and then sell it through, uh, you know, big pharma. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, this has got me interested in, in nootropics. You know, because like you were saying about the you know lion's mane and chaga, that's all considered like a nootropic. Uh, right. mushroom what uh do you do anything else to kind of optimize brain function there mm-hmm. yeah i like to take gaba i do sort of a stack uh i take gaba about 700 milligrams for um, just cognitive relaxation right just kind of ease the mood a little bit gaba is a natural it's natural uh, neurotransmitter in the brain uh, and so i'll do that i'll also take um uh 5-htp which is a precursor in the brain for um uh, optimal optimal sleep or restorative rest. Uh, I'll take St. John's wort for warding off any sort of depression and just uh, heighten the mood and tension a little bit. Um, let's see, L-theanine is a great amino acid to take uh, for cognitive function. And, and these are all nootropics. And then I mentioned uh, modafinil. I use that as a smart drug um, when I really have a lot to concentrate on or when I really need to be mentally present um, if I have meetings or interviews or things like that, then you know I really want to be sharp, right, mentally. And so I'll take modafinil uh, for that. Very cool. Yeah, I like. I'm really starting to take an interest towards you know all of the natural nootropics um, for the same reason that you know I do keto. Like you're just trying to optimize your performance, and I think performance you know is on many more frontiers than just physical alone, but you know mental cognition i think that's of paramount importance as well well you know think about this when you go to the gym i bet you listen to music right <laughs> music or sometimes i'll listen to an audiobook or a podcast or sometimes i just listen to my thoughts <laughs> well even better um self-talk is awesome but uh you know a lot of people use motivation um speeches or music to get into the groove 
And uh, the, the truth is, is that our bodies will go as far as our minds will let it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the mind that gives up first, uh, yeah. telling us we're exhausted, telling us that we're sore, telling us that we're tired, things like that. And so if we can get the mind into a proper um, mood, you know, a proper place, then we can go forever. And so I'll use, that's another reason that I use the binaural beats, but I'll take a mental stack um, for a workout, right? Like I'll feed my brain as a pre-workout so that it's it's performing optimally uh, so that my body will just follow where it's leading. I, so I think that's, that's, that's the great way to go about it for sure. <laughs> that's biohacking for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it does amaze me how how people just draw a line between, you know, physical and mental, and there's no line there. I mean, it's it's one and the same, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have to stop separating it. I think we have to stop compartmentalizing and separating them out and just see it as a collective. I agree 100%. 100%. Um, well, Trent, I could literally sit here and talk with you all day long, man. Uh, we, we're, we're about an hour, a little over an hour in now, so uh, we might, we're going to have to do like a follow-up podcast that continue our discussion (laughs) anytime (laughs) we'll have have to both take some mushrooms for our next podcast or something (laughs) you take a psilocybin and i'll take the lion's mane (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is a it's gonna be interesting when i when i make the thumbnail for this one we have like drug talk on there (laughs) there you go (laughs) well trent where can uh where can people go to find more about you man uh, well, you mentioned Instagram, uh, so Trent Halbert on Instagram, Trent Halbert Fitness on Facebook, and uh, then my weekly podcast is Fit for the Kingdom Podcast, uh, which if they go over there, they get to hear a little bit of Robert Sykes. Uh, that was a cool episode. And then they can find me on my website at TrentHalbertFitness.com. Perfect, perfect. And I'll link to all those in the show notes as well. Um so yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna link to those. I'm also gonna link to that app. I'm gonna try and find that and play around with it because I'm I'm definitely anxious to try uh, manipulating the the sound waves and frequencies and see how that affects me. Absolutely, brain waves. It's free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can't beat that. It's free. Um, well, sweet Trent, pleasure as always, man. Until next time, have a good one, brother. You too, man. Take care.